I think it's worth pointing out that <coughs> Dude, you got a super cut all my coughs together into one disgusting cough for the intro. This is who we are, fake film fans. Hey everybody, welcome to Fake Film Fans. I'm Suede Best, the Judith Butler of martial arts films. Hey guys, I'm Walter, and on the back of your bank card... I'm the four numbers before the SSN numbers that we never use and have no idea what the fuck they are for. You are these four sacred hidden numbers. Exactly. I'm useless. Four numbers, four beauties. Four beauties of China. Four beauties of China, five if you count Susan B. Anthony. And six, as we count Judith Butler. Judith Butler, the sixth beauty of China. Before we get into the real meatus of this podcast, I just want to say we're doing a little pledge drive-ish sort of thing where if you give us uh, five stars... If you give us five stars on uh, on iTunes, and we can get to a uh, 55 star ratings on iTunes, I'm gonna let anyone who has been on the podcast, who is in Roanoke at the time, they're gonna slap me on the stomach as hard as they can. We're gonna tie me to a chair outside, and people are just gonna walk by if you've been on the podcast and slap me on the stomach as hard as I can, and we'll record it and post it online in various places. This is the this is the place drive. So get us to 50. St- five star reviews on itunes if you want to see me just get the shit slapped out of my stomach we don't just want the cheddar we want the pain baby we want the plane we are we are masochists of ourselves and we want the cheddar we want the cheddar we want the cheese we want 55 star reviews the next goal may be a hundred stars and we get to put cheese into suede's belly button oh man dude <laughs> jesus uh there, you want to know why i said that is because i have i have a very scarified memory of um being in middle school and being held down by a group of girls as a ha- at a halloween party while they smushed a cupcake in my belly button and then ate it out of my belly button that's like one of my traumatic memories as a youth is this happening to me dude that's like a sex thing for most people though i mean it might have been a sex thing at the time but i was not there yet so it was mostly just nightmarish did not <laughs> enjoy that party did not have a good time did not enjoy it uh shout out to all the people in middle school who bullied me thanks <laughs> thanks <laughs> but now i have a podcast so who's winning really right amen 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 brother amen. you amen brother before we talk about movies we do some empirical science okay i know that there's a lot of different types of food that people disagree on what the best type of silverware is to use let's just go through some foods and talk about what type of silverware is the best way to eat them. okay i'm down i'm done it's just to outline the tools we have at our, our disposal forks those pointy boys that we love so much knives the slicing boys spoons the lifting and cupping boys chopsticks they're a lifting implement, really. And then, uh, hands. Are we missing any other? Maybe you use a pencil to eat your food. What about bread? I sometimes use bread as a utensil. Then bread should be okay. included. we're including bread. Or rice, right? Don't people sometimes pick up food with rice? Yeah, 
but if you're eating rice, you're probably using your hands. But you're not picking up the food with your hands. You're picking up the rice with your hands and then picking up the food with the rice. If your hands are not touching any part of that food because your hands are only touching the rice, then I guess the rice is the silverware. Okay. Okay, good. To include that, though, like, we both have read Addicted to Curry, so we know this is a fact. Different types of silverware, so like wood, silver, plastic, also affect the food. So we want to include that into our debate here. All right, the first food that we should debate on is salad. Okay. So this is, this is, this is a sticking point between you and I, but I find it unpleasant when people have a lot of food on their face and on their hands when they're eating. I will sometimes eat salad with my hands, but it is only when it is a dry salad, like not a whole lot of stuff. I take umbrage when you're going to eat the salad covered in ranch and the ranch is all over your lips and your fingers. Just thinking about it right now, like gives me stress, gives me anxiety. Like the idea of just like someone so covered in food. I think it doesn't matter how you eat a salad so long as you keep yourself clean. Okay, Suede is implying that I think using hands is the best way to eat salad. Is that true? Yes, it is. Fucking I do still believe that. Every fucking child. type of salad Disgusting. needs to be used with hands. I wish I could come through the computer and slap you. <laughs> I hate you so much. Why? Because the best hand food is food that's no, finger licking. I hate that. Don't lick your fingers. And salad is so saucy that it has so much good fucking things to lick Ugh. your fingers with. No. And which is why it is a must-hand silverware type of food. I can't stand when people lick their fingers. I don't even like to eat Cheetos in public because they... Celine actually has been on the podcast. I've seen her lick her fingers after eating Flamin' Hot Cheetos and it makes me want to vomit. I hate it. Talk about traumatic experiences. I had another traumatic experience where I was at a family Passover and I was with some of my relatives and this one relative was just eating everything with his hands and like slurping it. And I, I literally had to leave the table. It was making me so nauseous. It was just like, it was foul. Like, like playing with the matzo ball soup with his hands as if he was like some sort of, some sort of cat playing in the water. It was, ugh, nightmarish. Okay. Right now, you're just talking about silverware that's affecting you because you're visually seeing other people. But what is the best silverware for yourself? I eat it with a fork if I'm around others or my hands if there's not a lot of juice and sauce on it and I'm by myself. So what is the benefits of using a fork? Uh, it's quick. It is not messy. I think a fork is not a great way to eat salad because I think salad is one of the most tactical, no, not tactical, like feely. It's got a lot of texture. It's a textured meal. It's a textured experience. And I think being able to hold all the fucking different types of vegetables in your hands is a very, very important part of eating salad. And it ups the experience by like 50%. The fact that you can feel a tomato and a piece of lettuce. But it, it, creates, and, a me- it, it creates a mess. If it's covered in sauce, if it's crust cr- covered in dressing, it makes a mess. Showers make messes. Does that mean you stop taking showers? Showers don't make a mess if you have a shower curtain. If you don't get water everywhere. What do you mean showers make a mess? You're all wet with water. And the water is a mess. And then you dry off and you're clean. I don't think silverware is about keeping things unmessy. That is literally the point of silverware. That is literally the point of silverware. So you don't make your hands messy. Okay, maybe that's like a big differencing point then with this argument. Because for me, silverware is about maximizing the taste of the food. When I would also say a fork is the best for that. You can you can get individual pieces. It's not affected by whatever flavors on your hands. Uh, you don't have to like 
lift it up and like put it in your face in a weird way you just go direct from bowl to mouth that does win me a little over that the fork is the most picky uh silverware so you can actually pick very specific ingredients of what you want and I think that's actually an interesting point that you made. Wait, if you want to keep the salad flavor outside of the other things you're eating, you would want to have multiple forks, right? I mean, that's the point of like the salad fork and the like the shrimp fork and the beef fork and all those like fancy meals. So are you saying your ideal way of eating salad at a restaurant would be to have 10 different types of forks for each ingredient no i would use the same i'm just saying if you <laughs> if you're if you're like worried about that and i mean some people are right like so for instance i don't eat ice cream a whole lot but when i do like i eat my salad out of a bowl usually so like if i'm having like a sit down meal with a group of people and like first there's the salad i'll usually eat the salad and then i'll go and quick rinse and wash out my bowl and then i'll just use that bowl for the ice cream some people would be like that's disgusting You've got your salad energy in the ice cream bowl. And I'm like, that's clean. I washed it. Same way, like if I eat a salad, if I'm moving on to something else, I'll probably like wipe my fork off on my napkin a little bit so I don't get salad taste on the other food so I can enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed. Okay. I think this is a good opportunity to move on to the next food because I like that one that you suggested. What's your favorite silverware to use for ice cream? Okay. So actually, I, I thought you were... Um, a crazy person, but I actually just realized, I think my favorite way to eat ice cream is probably with my tongue and a cone. Do you like the ice cream melting onto your hands? I don't like the ice cream melting onto my hands, but that's the upkeep of the ice cream. You know, like if you just like lick in a certain spot over and over again, and you don't upkeep the, the, you know, lick around at the parts that start melting, then you're going to get it on your hands. I will say if it's hot enough to where it's like going to melt completely and it's going to be a big mess, I'll always go with a bowl and a spoon. But if if it's not going to be like a huge mess, I really like me a cone. I like me a waffle cone, not a sugar cone. Okay, the cone for me is a big one too. I like that a lot. But I think my favorite is still the metal spoon. For me, I like the sensation of the cold feeling of ice cream in my mouth, but I hate it on my hands. And that's why I won't use wood or plastic. Because wood or plastic... The, the silverware itself doesn't freeze up as much. That's true. So metal spoons are really good because metal spoons go in, they get cold, and then you can feel the extra cold when you take the bite of it. I will say there is one other thing, which is that have you ever gotten like ice cream from a gas station that comes with its own terrible little wooden spoon? That's like maybe the size of your thumb. That like is a really engaging experience too. It like it's... it's... No, no. Honestly, you're super right about that. Wooden spoons with ice cream is super underrated. And actually when you mention that that might i actually might put that as number one because those wooden fucking spoons they absorb that sweetness so well yeah, yeah, yeah and then you can fucking lick that wooden spoon and like suck on it afterwards and you get it like taste tree bark and ice cream and that is a wonderful experience yeah and you can chew on the wooden spoon in a way you can't with metal like if you, and if you chew on plastic it just explodes into shards agreed agreed sometimes i chewing on that wooden spoon like three hours after that ice cream the next one I want to ask is steak. I'll go first this time. It's got to be wooden chopsticks. Uh, I have questions. Okay, yeah. How is the steak presented to me? Is it like a full steak? Yes, a full steak. Okay, I like chopsticks. I like to use them. I'm okay with them. Um, how do you use chopsticks to eat a steak if it's not cut into slices? The scientific fact of our human body is our front teeth are meant to be sharp, right? That's what cuts meat. The best way to do that is to use chopsticks to eat steak. You put it in your mouth and you 
fucking pull with your wooden chopsticks and you pull with your head and you just thrash, thrash, thrash like a lion eating its prey. And that feeling is fucking underrated. And the reason why the chopsticks have to be wood is because you want the juice to get onto those chopsticks. When you look at those chopsticks, you can see that red juice and it makes you feel like a fucking beast. So I sort of get where you're coming from. My chopstick skills aren't high enough for me to do that necessarily. Like, if I was going to do that, I would just pull the steak probably out of my chopstick grasp. I would not want to eat that way in public. I don't think people would appreciate it, but I get it. We talked about sink meals before. Some of my favorite sink meals are just like a cold piece of steak at like 2 a.m. Just like kind of just like taking a chunk out. I don't see why you would if you want to go full primal on it, like you're saying, why wouldn't you just use your hands? The reason why I don't like using my hands for steak is because I don't find the juices that come out of steak that finger licking. Every time you say finger licking, I have an anti erection. I don't know what how to describe it other than it is the opposite of an erection. It is like the antithesis. It is the 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 antimatter of an erection. I hate it. Just putting it out there. I hate it. What about you? What's your favorite? I mean, so what I've been doing is when I cook steak is I, I cook it nice and rare to medium rare and I slice it pretty thin and I put it over rice with pickled vegetables that I like make myself and I just eat it kind of in one go. Um, I've tried to make little like nigiri, not nigiri, the, um, you know, the little sushi that's like the little patty with like rice. I've been trying to like do something like that because I like to eat it in one go, but I don't, I don't know quite know how to do that. So I, but I, my favorite would be sliced thin over rice with pickled vegetables using either a big fork or a big spoon, you know, or not, not, not like huge, but like one that I can get a big, good mouthful in. Do you have a preference on what type of fork and spoon? I don't have any wooden utensils at home. That's not like cooking implements. Like I have a wooden spatula and stuff or a a wooden stirring spoon and stuff like that. Like, do you have non-disposable chopsticks at your home that are made out of wood that aren't lacquered, that aren't finished in something? I don't think I understood that question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Describe the wooden chopsticks that you have that are non-disposable at home. A plastic. But So there's no non-disposable chopsticks that are also made out of wood at your house there are but why would you use those those like actually have as you said finish on them so you can't absorb you can't suck the juices out of those chopsticks okay but so what i'm saying is you can't reuse the chopsticks that you suck the juices out of right that's like a one and done nope i do do other people yes is it like you use them until they get moldy bro that's just not true you're fucking talking (laughs) shit right now that's like some fucking bullshit like i could see using it two or three times maybe but no that's fucking some horse shit dude i use them about three weeks that's so foul dude do you wash them yeah okay no i mean i get it i give them the scrubs i just i feel like i don't know in my zone we try to like we try to use things as much as we can over and over again and so like having a wooden utensil would just be like a complete waste of time because like it's just gonna need to be thrown away eventually so just stick to the metal um but so no i would i i like if i'm like by myself steak with hands is good if i'm eating in front of others steak rice spoon dude you care way too much about fucking environment we're talking about individual pleasure here you baby can't separate a meal from the people around you it's impo- like i don't like to eat ice cream around beautiful women uh because i feel like a yummy boy like a baby boy yummy boy who's like yes give me the ice cream i'm a baby yummy boy and it makes me feel embarrassed so that's a thing all right but so i couldn't enjoy ice cream in that context no it's fair it's fair maybe i should have specified and made it into like 
in your bedroom when you're not caring about anything, what is that silverware that you go to? Let's do that for the next one. Okay, for the next one. Popcorn. My hands. Oh, I have completely disagree with that, dude. There's no way hands are the no, best. No, okay, way. now you're being purposefully contradictory. What are you talking about? How do you eat popcorn with utensils? The best way to eat popcorn is to take the paper bag and dump it into your mouth. So the paper bag is the fucking silverware here. And then you allow the popcorn to, like, get we onto your We didn't establish that. No, no, no. Listen here. Listen here, you little tubby fuck. Listen here, you bastard. That was not one of the established options. I didn't say there was an established option. You even broke up the established options by asking if rice was part of it or bread I was I know, because the established options were fork, knife, spoon, chopsticks, rice, and bread. We said this at the beginning. No, you just wanted to list them out because you're a weirdo with O. CD and you need your fucking rules and stuff. I like my rules. I like my plans. I like my systems. It keeps me safe. Okay. Also, okay, there's I, no cop. We're no. No one's winning here. No one's beating each other up. So instead of reacting like how you did, you should have been like, "Whoa, you know what, Walter? Congratulations! I like that idea. That is better than using my hands. You know what? I worship you. Let me suck your toes. You know what? You're right, Walter. You're right. But I, I can one up you on that. Okay. What's the best way to eat popcorn? With someone else's hands. Oh, uh, I like that one for sure. Someone else has to feed you popcorn. That's fair. That's actually the best way. Yes, you're right. Just plop them in, plop them in, drop them and plop them right into your mouth. It's like how I think the best silverware for cake is someone else's belly button. No, no. <laughs> oh, no, that, oh, you give me flashbacks. Oh, God. Oh, God. Especially if it's Anna Karina's. I want to ask a question fried egg that's a good one i think for me it is chopsticks and i actually think for fried egg i do like plastic chopsticks more than wooden chopsticks i like to eat a fried egg with bread so i like to fry an egg and make sure the yolk is nice and runny and then i cover it in hot sauce and like the what is it the the spicy chili flakes the little chili crisp stuff and then i i scoop up the egg with the bread as if it was like a utensil and then at the end when there's a bunch of like egg slime left over i take one more piece of bread and i sop it all up now i only do this by myself because it is a disgusting way to eat food not because you're using bread but because of the way i do it because i'm always like it's late at night it's all oily and there's like egg and bread all over the place it is, it is not pleasant to look at the way I do it, but I enjoy doing it. That is where context matters. That is like, it's 1145. Everyone has gone to bed in the house except me. So now I get my messy egg boy time. I think you think it's more messy than it is because I actually think there's a lot of people who use bread to eat ready eggs. In fact, I remember when uh, Tori's hated Fred. Donut. Hey, we don't hate. Donut. <laughs> His go-to pride dish to cook for us was this, like, runny egg in the middle with some sort of tomato, I don't know, whatever, tomato sauce around it. And he just gave us a bunch of bread slices to use it to eat. Yeah, that dude was kind of a pain in the ass, huh? <laughs> I don't know why. What did you, what, how, how did that story trigger that? <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of a lot. It's just, like, kind of, like, when you're, like, hanging out with friends, you don't, like, I don't know. I thought it was cool. It actually made me think of like, wow, holy crap. I've never actually ate eggs in such an interesting way. So I appreciate it. Well, next it. time you're in Roanoke, we're going to just fry a bunch of eggs and we'll just cover it in the spicy chili crisp and hot sauce. And we'll just have like a little egg, egg and bread party. Okay. Sounds good. I think that would be really fun.
the one thing we can learn from this absolutely garbage conversation. Hey, now, I don't know if it was garbage. I don't know if it was garbage. I would say it was gold. (laughs) It was mold. It was mold, gold, mold, and told. That's good. I like that. Rhyming is good. When you rhyme, it makes things better. Gold mold. It's old goldie mold. I brought this movie, um, this Thai movie called Chocolate. It's a martial arts film, and it's one I love. I watched it first when I was in high school and really enjoyed it, and I've seen it a couple times since. But this time when I was watching it, I noticed some things, because the first time I was like watching it with like a more critical eye. There are kind of two main things I want to talk about. One is more about like the way a martial arts movie is put together, and one is sort of about the meat of the story. So the basic premise is that there's this woman who belongs to uh, some sort of organized crime gang, some sort of Thai organized crime gang, and she meets this Yakuza, this Japanese Yakuza, and they get together, and the woman's boss is, like, very upset that this is happening, and shoots himself in the foot, and is like, if I ever see this happen again, I'm gonna kill you. The woman, I'll, I'll call her mom, then mom escapes organized crime, tells the Yakuza guy we can't be together anymore, sorry, and goes and raises this kid whose name is Zen, and it's very clear to the mother very quickly that she is developmentally delayed in some ways and as it turns out she has autism (laughs) there's there's a trend in media um of having characters who have autism having like superpowers um more or less like the good doctor is a really good example it's about this kid who's a doctor and because of his autism he's like just a genius ass doctor and he'll go into like super autism doctor mode where he can like see all these schematics and like know exactly what's wrong with someone and so zen has a similar skill set where by watching and then practicing movements consistently over and over again she can like accurately recreate martial arts moves and it's not just like she's good at doing a punch the first fight she does where you finally see Zen doing badass martial arts stuff. She's been watching Bruce Lee movies, and so she does all the Bruce Lee stuff. She even does the Bruce Lee vocalization, right? She's like that thing that, like, Bruce Lee's famous for in a lot of his movies. It's weird, though, because there's, like, a tradition in in martial arts films in small amounts of people who are, like, not necessarily able-bodied or whose bodies are different being in martial arts films. The two that I can think of off the top of my head are Zadoichi, the Blind Swordsman, uh, which is, like, a famous franchise, and then Crippled Masters, which is, like, a 60s martial arts movie about a dude with no arms and a dude with no legs. Shigarui. Oh, you're right. No. Shigarui is actually another good example. There's a there's a lame there's a one armed character in Shigarui. There's a character who's lame, who's missing, who's who's got a limp and uh, has a mutilated foot that helps him do martial arts. And I think it sort of leads back into this idea. And I think this is like that martial arts is for the common man, right? Martial arts have traditionally been a tool to like strike against the oppressor. And so like when the disenfranchised have a way to do martial arts, it's a way to like strike back against, right? <laughs> so Zen Zen has these like crazy, you know, basically super powers she finds a list filled with names of people who owe Zen's mom's money she and her best friend Moom goes and and beats them up for the money because her mom needs cancer treatments I I was actually a little nervous I'll be honest with you all to talk about this because you know people are reality is complicated and and people who are non-neurotypical you know don't always have it easy more often than not they don't have it easy in comparison to other people and so I think there's a way to view this movie to see it as like making fun of autistic people or whatever or like making light of autism or something but I think if you look at the representation of people with autism in media. So Atypical, the teen romance from Netflix, Curious Incident, the dog within a night, which is a a novel. Rain Man is another one. 
all of these pieces of media present autism in a similar fashion to the way Zen's the way Zen's autism is like shown on screen, right? The 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 issues with change childlike elements right like she's not very verbal but she's still like capable of like these amazing skills i don't know i I, i'm not i'm not sure whether it's a good piece of representation or not but it mirrors a lot of other pieces of media that have autism in it i don't know whether or not martial arts films have good representation but i think the fact that you could list so many differently abled bodies in martial arts films there is something very interesting there that i could definitely see a really good academic paper on well and i think zen zen is treated with like a lot of kindness by the film she's got a lot of anxiety uh there's a scene where like she rips off her mother's wig on accident and sees her bald and sort of freaks out and starts like screaming and having a panic attack it would be very easy to like be like oh she's just this autistic weirdo she can't handle change but while she's freaking out it cuts to memories of her as a child playing with her mother's hair like when she was a little baby like this like really intimate connection and so what you've got is this like really kind of beautiful but also like sad moment where zen is upset because her mother has changed and this like intimate relationship they have has changed because of the lack of hair but because she's not very verbal because she doesn't have a whole lot of verbal skills she can't articulate that so she's just upset. If you read stuff about autism or you interact with people who, who are on the autis- autism spectrum, you know, this is like a consistent issue is lacking the techniques to verbalize. It paints Zen as someone who's real and just has trouble communicating rather than like a space alien. You know, there's a there's another section where, dude, it's so funny too. There's this section where she like is just sitting there and a fly flies near her and she just grabs it out of the air and puts it in her mouth it's like totally like look how good her reflexes are but she gets sick because of it and so as an adult she's afraid of flies and so again you know it could be like oh what a weirdo why is she afraid of flies it's almost always got context which i think makes it a little more kind of a representation i did a little bit of research there there are some apparently some really nice private schools for folks with autism in in thailand apparently that's like a an avenue of education they have over there you know which is not true of every place on planet earth there's there's only one in roanoke so i I don't know what that has to do with anything but it is it is i guess worth mentioning so i think the movie handles zen and sort of her existence in reality really well until you get to the end um zen's mother is getting sick and they're needing more money and the guy who used to be her boss who is very mad that she had the relationship with the yakuza basically tries to kill her and zen and zen's best friend moom and so they have this epic battle where the yakuza man comes back to like save the day (laughs) zen has to like fight a bunch of people to get to her mom and one of the people she fights is this kid who's her age who's been trained and he has Tourette's is what it seems like his body is full of ticks he like ticks and twitches and stuff so it's it's super bizarre because it goes from like oh you know this is like an interesting kind of thing like you know someone whose like reality is different than ours is like now engaged in like a you know like an action film to like let's watch the weirdos fight and it's like totally it totally turns out of nowhere and it's also like well within this martial arts tradition right because his like twitch movements kind of mirror like drunken master style from like the old jackie chan drunken master movie so it's this weird like where you're like oh you you were doing really great and then it's and then it turns into something that like he's given no characterization he's just this kid in an adidas tracksuit who's just like twitching all over the place and then zen uses her like martial arts autism to like mirror all of his actions so she can defeat him it it's like oh man that's if it felt it felt like a misstep you bring that up but like why do you think zen is more represented better just because you have more context and you get her personality and that's it yeah i do i think that's what it comes down to right i think like the problem with representation is not just throwing someone up there right just being like look 
look, look, it's about context, right? Because otherwise you're just placating people. But if you're presenting something to someone that's like a rich tapestry of existence, right? It's not just like, look, see, we're making another person who looks or acts like you be on the screen. It's like, no, look, this is like presenting an avenue of your existence, of your struggle, right? That's that's what representation is about. But so I, I think the problem is you've got this kid who's just like, now we're making two cripples fight is basically what it feels like, which is bad and uncool. Uh, you're not even supposed to call people cripples, right? But that's what it feels like. It, it, it feels it feels unkind um, in a way that Zen has never felt like she's treated unkindly, right? Like, especially because there are so many shots where it's not just Zen doing martial arts. It's just like there's like sections where like Zen and Moom are like just driving around on his bicycle and she's like talking to him, kind of like doing her thing. And it's like, you know, this is she's she's painted as a real person do you actually feel like if this boy with Tourette's was just shown I don't know a few scenes of him just like reading a picture book or something like that and that explain why he understood how to fight in that type of style of martial arts you would immediately be like okay that's a little better uh maybe see I, I think the problem is you're the final antagonist is someone who also would be perceived as like being different being a freak being a weirdo because the the premise is not like zen the freak fighter right it's like zen a being who exists and has struggles so it doesn't make narrative sense to have her fight someone who's had a, a similar struggle right like if i was going to write that narrative and have her triumph i wouldn't have her fight the guy with severe tourettes i would have her fight like the perfect warrior the reason why shigeru's bodies are so unique is because it's not just the main character who has a different body. Yeah. A lot of the people who he's fighting all have different bodies. And sometimes I feel when you just put the main character as someone who's autistic, is there not an argument that there's a bit of tokenization going on? Yeah, but their bodies are given context in Shigurui, right? So Shigurui, for those who don't know, is a really intense, really dark samurai martial arts manga. And there's just characters whose bodies are like racked and ruined by wounds. And I think some of that is to show the stakes, right? Like when you read something like Ryu Kenshin. No Ryu Kenshin. No Ryu Kenshin. <laughs> well, but that's like that. Like Ryu Kenshin's like not great because of the man who made it, who's not a great dude. But his manga, like when people get cut up, they don't like have lasting damage, right? In Sh in Shigurui, when people's bodies change, it's permanent. There's context to why their bodies have changed, right? I think you could make the argument, even if the guy with Tourette's isn't in the film that chocolate tokenizes this character. I don't feel that way because I think she's given a lot of context. She's she's as multidimensional as a character's gonna get in a martial arts film. When the movie's mostly about punching, it's hard to make a multidimensional character, but she's given enough for its context to where I don't think it's necessarily tokenizing. Here, okay, you know what maybe it is? Maybe it's that when the villain with Tourette's came out, I was like hyped. Oh no, because it is so fucking hype. Because this kid <laughs> is like such a badass, and his Tourette's actions have like uh, you know it's like drunken master style kind of, but also because of his Adidas tracksuit, it's also kind of like capoeira breakdancing thing. It's very cool to watch him do his thing. Like that that fight is awesome because he's like he's got this like hip hop drunken master Tourette style moves, and Zen is like for the first time getting her ass kicked, not because she's outnumbered, but because because someone is better at martial arts than her because like in the movie when she gets her shit handed to her it's because there are like 17 dudes punching her but for the first time this dude is like totally giving zen the business and then she like stops and starts like mirroring him and you're like oh zen is about to triumph it is 
hype as shit. It is fucking awesome. It just ha- doesn't have great optics. Like it, it's one of those things that's like, man, this is badass. Man, this is great. But like, also, I could see people taking umbrage with this, and I could get why they take umbrage with it. But oh, so you're saying that if someone took umbrage for Zen, you would fight them? Yeah, I would. I mean, well, it depends on who the person is <laughs> and what. They, I mean, it depends on their critique, you know, because I'm not. I don't know everything, but my read is I don't think it Zen is treated as poorly as some of their characters like I don't, I don't even I think she's treated more interestingly than um Rain Man you know like Rain Man is like a great movie with really good actors but there's not a lot he can do he's kind of like ineffectual he's kind of weak like Zen Zen is like multi-dimensional because she has a lot of things she can't do by herself she has trouble communicating she's terrified of flies her support system is really important which i also thought was pretty cool exactly like she needs a lot but also no one can beat her in a fight right which is like totally awesome so i i I think she's a more interesting character than rain man no you're right because first of all we kept referencing this boy as the boy with tourette's we don't even know his name because the movie doesn't give it to us or his relationship with the other characters i mean he just is a boy who's there yeah because in my head i was thinking of it like a parent right the first time we see him before he pops out in the final fight is in this one scene where he comes down and he gets scolded for doing some childish stuff and then he goes back upstairs and then we don't get to see him again when he comes out and starts fighting it's almost oh shit there's a parallel between the boy's life and zen's life and i think that is part of why the scene doesn't feel as terrible like i think they're like i think it is a badass scene and i think it's because the characters like hinted at and stuff and i think you could definitely read it that way i'm just saying i think you know we're talking about representation and pros and cons right narratively it makes sense why he's there narratively there are parallels that being said I don't think there's enough legwork to make it something that doesn't feel like a freak fight. That's, that's, I think my main problem is as badass as the scene is, it does gravitate towards a freak fight territory, which is like not cool. Like there, there's a reason we don't have, um, sideshows anymore. But, but again, you know, I love this movie. And one of the things that I really like about chocolate, it beautifully illustrates this concept of like levels almost in good action movies and martial arts movies the main character in chocolate as she gets into the fights they start out really simple really easy the first one just like a group of like kids her age come to give her business and she like beats them all um with like very like simple martial arts moves as the movie progresses the martial arts fights get more intense and they don't just get more intense with like more people they get more intense with the way the character moves through physical space to where you go from like just like a fight in a parking lot till the end where she's like leaping from like wall to wall and hanging on like giant neon signs and like fighting people while she's like holding on for dear life. Not only like the martial arts is more intense and the plot has more weight in this fight, the actual like way the character moves through physical space has gotten more intense. And it, every time it gets better and better until you're at this like climactic multi three dimensional martial arts fight. The farther you get into chocolate, the more is like the actual space of the film the way people move the space opens up it just goes from people fighting in a parking lot to like the main girl zen uh like sliding under pipes and like leaping from rooftop to rooftop and stuff it's super cool i i understand why it feels so unique because it does feel like western action movies don't really do that as much they yeah. like to build tension build tension build tension until this final fight especially when you watch marvel movies oh today God, there's yeah. like no fights except until the end i do think though in western media there is one type of 
action movies that do do that pretty well and it's those single building let me get to the top of the building yes i think action comedies do a pretty good job of doing it too it's just done differently they they use the physical space to facilitate jokes right so like men in black instead of things getting more intense in a physical space which they do because at the end of the first men in black they're like climbing up a tower if i remember correctly but in like action comedies things get more zany i can't remember this is the first one or the second one but they're being chased down the subway by like a giant space worm and stuff like that instead of things getting more intense based on the way the characters move throughout physical space things get more intense based on like plot and how crazy things are getting also another action film american one that i want to point out is the kill bill series from quentin tarantino which is almost a antithesis of this where the first level is like the most action per se and it kind of slowly goes in a more non-action way but also it's not surprising because that film is so based off asian uh action films kill bill feels less to me like it's going down in levels and more like it's almost getting funneled right because all of kill bill the first film leads to that final fight with lucy Liu, right that's that's what it's trying to do is it's trying to push you to this one centralized point he does the same thing in reservoir dogs there's all this action stuff going on and it finally goes down into one particular moment in one room and i can see chocolate doing that a little bit too because the fights are all leading up to that final big fight in the dojo and in the uh, street per se I do think the reason why chocolate doesn't feel as intensely like that, I don't know if bosses is the right word, but each level, the character for them is not as attractive or like you don't hold on to that character as much compared to some of the other level action films that we get to experience so yeah for instance in in kill bill all the main like named antagonists in kill bill have such intense personality with the exception of like the main bad guy most of the villains in chocolate are just like assholes you you don't they're not nearly as memorable as they are from kill bill they're just like oh here's like a fucking dude who's an asshole he's just a dick it's it's more like a traditional like an old school martial arts movie where it's like no you're here for like the sweet kicks <laughs> lone wolf and cove is very similar um you know they cut down a ton of dudes who are nameless just to like show off how badass it is if we're talking about this though there are like in my opinion two maybe three villains in that are considered nameless or less nameable that their appearance is still very strong in the film so one of them is the boy with the twitch then you have the sidekick uh fuck what's the right way to say it? so we've talked a little bit about like differently able bodies neurotypical versus non-neurotypical if we're talking about things that fall outside of the traditional western binary it's probably worth mentioning that there are some characters in the the antagonist's force his second command who seem to be trans or cross-dressers it's not really addressed as to sort of where they fall in the gender spectrum or whatever but seem but but seem to generating some sort of like non-traditional relationship with with gender and bodies right and i think the reason i'm stumbling and it's hard to talk about is because i know so little about the relationship to gender in thailand and the relationship of gender to like crime and stuff like that like within the context of the movie it's really not talked about i'm not i'm not quite sure how it fits into the rest of the movie i just it's probably worth mentioning right well i'll risk it i'll risk it i'll risk it okay cancel here we go get ready get your twitters out cancel walter of course the west for better or for worse they understand thailand has a different understanding of 
gender in that way. When you talk about the narrative, Zen, she doesn't get viewed as a, as a normal human in the major society, which is not very great. It can be argued, hey, this film, maybe, maybe there is a play on hey, here's another type of different body people we can put into the movie. There's this narrative of trans sex workers being a big thing in Thailand, right? It's like something that gets joked about a lot, but it is it is a narrative that exists, right? There's even like phrases used to describe these people that are, are not nice and we're not going to use on the podcast. But instead of them being, the only time that they're victims is when they lose a fight at the end, right? They're not victimized until the hero wins. Well, it's the same thing with the, um, the boy that, with Therese that we have issue with. It's that we don't get enough context for them and they just sort of exist in the film. But I do think it is interesting that what you just said is they don't lose because of the sex crimes or anything like that. They lose because they're actually just get defeated by the strongest of the them. heroes. The heroes, yes. Well, and I will say the, the, the second in command, she is bad she is like bad scary she does like a very good job as the villain like she feels like actually like a traditional femme fatale right like i I don't know if that's worth mentioning but she doesn't feel like a joke character like she slinks around she's very like sexy she like kind of like moves like smoke she's got like a gun that she's like not afraid to use right she's she's not she gets shot like four times it doesn't fucking die she, she takes a few bullets so she's honestly kick ass too, yeah. I think almost maybe maybe the the main issue with this film is there's just not enough leg room to have all these characters be completely three dimensional, right? I mean, you could almost like make this like an HBO miniseries, and you could totally give these characters a bunch of depth, um, and it wouldn't just yeah, they, they wouldn't necessarily feel like tokens. But I understand why you're hesitant when you say you don't understand the culture, because in some ways, if Thailand has such a history where you can see so many different gendered people in their movies all the time perhaps it is a western gaze to view it as a token that's yeah that's i mean that's true right it's like i i'm coming from this in a context of like not wanting to hurt anyone who's experienced unpleasant things or violence or trauma because you know they're they're genderqueer because they're trans because they're non-binary or whatever right you know because i don't want to make people upset i, I like other people I, I don't want them to be upset you don't want your love for this movie to ruin other people's lives. Yeah, I don't. Dude. Uh, but on the other <laughs> hand, exactly what you're saying. If this was just like all the characters have red hair, you know, then it is the Western gaze. Then it is me being like, oh, this doesn't feel right because of my culture, right? And I, again, I, I don't know. Not good. It does. They don't feel like joke characters. You have to admit, a lot of them are badass. Yeah. A lot of them are great villains, and it is a trend that the movie it, uh, wanted to use. People who normal society unfairly treats as, as the other, as the outsider, as the other. Yes. But the other guy that I was thinking about was there's this random big guy who doesn't even look that big because all his friends die immediately in the first part of that final fight. But he kind of manages to stay alive for the whole fight. Yeah, he's got a bandana. Yeah, exactly. And he feels super weird. He keeps popping up. And I'm like, are you supposed to be strong? Well, I, so I think some of that is <laughs> up until then, a lot of the people uh, Zen is fighting, or that's the, the girl's name, like scrawny. Like the, the, some of them are like strong guys, but they're all like working class people. They're all like people who have factory gigs. This The, 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 the three people she fights before the main villain are like actual like trained thugs. Um, they're like actual bad guys. Is his muscles even the biggest? Like, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> I think it is compared to the rest of the people she fights. 
What is your favorite level for the movie? So Zen is afraid of flies, right? And there's a guy who owes her mom money in a meatpacking plant. And she freaks out the first time she shows up because she's terrified of flies. She goes and she puts on, like, at the, in the middle of the night, she puts on, like, some goggles to try and protect herself from the flies. She's like, oh, my God. And she's, like, really having trouble and she's freaking out. And these shitty assholes are coming to, like, kick her ass. And it's this moment where Zen is like, oh, man. Like, Zen has fought in some crazy situations and kicked everyone's asses despite the fact that she is not, she's not neurotypical. And now you're like, oh, snap. Like, this is, like, this is going to be a problem for her. And then out of nowhere, her best friend Moom shows up. And Moom's like, don't worry, I got this. And he starts slapping the flies out of the air with an electric fly swatter. And she looks around and she's like, there are no more flies. And then she kicks everyone's ass. And this is the, the first scene that other people have weapons. So they're swinging at her with, like, meat cleavers and stuff. And she's, like, dodging them and, like, pushing people into meat hooks and stuff like that. Like, it goes from, like, fun fights to, like, intense bloodiness. Um, and it's so fantastic. And it also shows, again, you mentioned her support system. It shows her support system. Because she wouldn't be able to do this without Moom. Without Moom... She would, she would get her ass kicked because she can't deal with the flies. She just, like, can't bring herself to deal with that, right? Um, but Moom saves the day. It's, like, an extension of her support system. And it's, like, a really badass fight. There's a part where she has a pole and she does, like, some, like, bow staff fighting. It's, it's so good. Would you watch it with uh, someone eating salad with their hands? I would, I would, I would watch the movie with them until I could accurately reproduce Zen's martial arts moves, and then I would beat them to death. <laughs> The film I brought was News from Home by Chantal Ackerman, who is one of the more famous French woman directors in the world. So Chantal Ackerman's actually not like French French. She's Belgian French. She's also dead. I think it's like pretty obvious she committed suicide. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because she had a really close relationship with her mother. And this film is one of her early films that's literally like her mother is a huge character in it. She has admitted that once her mother passed away, she had a really hard time finding motivation to do her films. And her last movie, she's literally filming her mother and her mother dies in the middle of it. It honestly is such a rare occasion to like capture this on film. I think the whole story is important to talk about. Is this the documentary when her mother died or is this before her mother passed into the ether? So this is kind of a half documentary where uh, Chantel Ackerman, when she was young, moved to New York to live there for like two to three years. And for the whole time she was living there, her mother kept sending her letters. And this is like, I guess, in the 60s or 70s. So yeah, there's no internet. There's not really a phone and letters are important. And she's just filming New York in very long, continuous takes. Not even any fucking, like, movement of camera, mostly. And she basically just reads her mom's letters over this movie. Okay, so this is BDM, before Dead Mom. BDM, BDM. yes. B-C-M. M. M. Not N. M. M is a good word. M is like Marvel. Like Marvel. The first thing I thought about when I was uh, watching this film is... I can admit to, like, picking my ass, but if I had to talk about how much I love my mom, it would have to be conveyed in this, like, artsy fucking stupid way because I'm not good at talking about it. I've never once heard you say that you love your mother, just to be fair. 
Yes, because I feel incredibly uncomfortable about it, and I don't exactly know what it was, what it is, really. You know, I mean, I don't even tell you I love you that much, right? Uh, you don't as much as I do. Yeah, and those are just like very hard emotions for me to tap into. And my family doesn't really do it. My mom do- and dad don't really tell me that they love me, so it's not like you don't fucking return it or anything. But I also think I just don't really have the good vocab to do it. Like, love is such a fucking basic ass bitch word that like gets used for everything in america i don't know to express that emotion just feels so much more than like words or discussion right. or nuance or talking it's like i love pancakes do you really love pancakes in the same way you love your mom and i mean like i think some of it is context right like before i go to bed i i say yo yo night mom night dad love you night no, that- and then we go to bed right so the context is like the last thing I say to them before I sleep is I love you, right? The word is, is it's the same word as I love pancakes or I loved the movie chocolate, but it's context, give it, give it weight. Would you be able to talk, like go into a really like, not deep or dark conversation, but go into an honest, raw conversation about how much you love your mom? Yeah, I think I could. I think it'd be a little embarrassing because it's really honest. And it's like, oh, I love my mommy. Oh, I love my mommy so much. <laughs> Oh, my mommy takes such good care of me. Oh, I love her. Oh, she's so good. But like, yeah, no, I do. I mean, those. You want to try it? I mean, like, oh my God. I mean, my mom has like just always been there for me. That's, I mean, that's like my life hasn't always been great. My brain has often told me about things that are not true and I have to deal with that. And she's, she's always been good for that, you know? And like, even nowadays when I'm upset, I can like, you know, I don't, I don't cry and like hide under her, under her legs anymore. Like a, like a scared child, but after i've had a tough day like if if i need to talk to someone you know she's someone i can be like man i just i'm having i'm having a rough day today and we've reached a point now where like i'm old enough to where she can do that for me and i can do that for her right when she's having a tough time at it she can be like you know i'm really struggling right now and i you know i can be there for her and it's you know that that that's a kind of love that i you know i care about i guess i want to try it you know because we're trying to be honest on this podcast, and I, I feel like I might as well try it somewhere. I think the issue with my stuff, too, is that I, I'm such a self-centered person that, like, some of my love for my mom comes from responsibility and guilt and all that <laughs> stuff, too. So it kind of gets mixed up into it. And that's some, like, fucking Chinese masculine bullshit that I had to deal with and stuff. Well, can you explain what you mean a little bit? Also, I don't always love the way that, like, Chinese society or the patriarchy treats my mom, so I feel extra bad for her. Oh, I see what you're saying. But so you're protective of your mom because of the way society treats her. Yeah. Okay. So I want to be able to talk about my mom as, like, a true support system over, like, I need to protect her. But I think there is a part of the bias of the Chinese society that makes sons even think their love for their mom comes out of her protection. And I know my dad loves my mom in that way. And I know my dad loves his mom in that way. But I want to love my mom in the same way that Americans talk about it, where they give their mom, like, respect. Like, I don't know, when people talk about, like, my mama is a strong lady, I know, like, it sounds really cheesy, but it's hard for me to even say those words in my context of understanding my love for my mom. And I have a bit of guilt for that and, like, regret. You know, I, I also feel protective of, of my mom. I feel protective of my dad and my little brother, right? I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, I, I do think I get what you're saying, right, that there's, like, this anxiety that the need for protection comes from her position in society and her labels that are applied to her because of her biology and her personality and her identity rather than like 
I don't want someone to punch my mom in the throat, right? <laughs> right? Because, like, I I would be very... Fr- <laughs> yeah. I would probably kick some... I mean, I don't know if I'd win, but I'd, I'd try to... I'd fight someone if they tried to fight my mom. Uh, I would try to protect her. But I would also do that for my dad, right? It's not because, you know, I need to protect my mom because she's a dainty woman. I need to protect her because I love her. So I, I, I see where that anxiety is manifesting. I think that's I think that's I- interesting. I don't know if I've experienced that. Uh-oh, I guess we do anxiety problems. <laughs> Jesus fucking <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Because I have too much other fucking crazy people shit to worry about. I'm not playing shit to worry about. I don't need to worry about. Oh, do I care about my mom because she's a woman and I'm worried about the patriarchy? No, I don't need to fucking worry about that. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really see my mom as a woman, right? I see her as my mom. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it it is what it is. I can't tell who's more on the Freudian slip right now. You yeah, or me? Who, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's more Freudian? Oh, God, Jesus. Dark. Darkness. Shadows. <laughs> Well, let's let I, I think I I think that's as far as I can go about talking with my mom. We'll work on it as we do these podcasts more and I bring more mom. Calls. I mean, to be fair, you never did say why you loved your mom. You just said you're worried the only reason you love her is so you can protect her. <laughs> just saying. Like you didn't that's actually it. Say- I'm done. Okay. I can't do okay. it anymore. Okay. It's, over. Okay, it's over. It's over. <laughs> Tap too much. Too much. It's too real, bro. It's too real. Give us five stars because we love our moms, man. It's too real. Give us five stars. <laughs> Give us the cheddar because we love our moms. So you were talking shit about the uh, plotless essay film of what I brought. And I'm not going to defend every single movie that I bring that's plotless. But this time, I actually do want to defend it a little bit. Because there is a point where you can just be like, okay, you're just fucking filming New York. I can fucking watch this movie by going outside. And I want to defend it a little bit like this. What gets captured on screen forever exists in a transient sort of way. And I I can agree, films may not be timeless. They may get destroyed in the future. But for now, it has that momentum. It feels like it can last for a very long time. And there's a potential to do that. And I think that's the different power. There's also the juxtaposition of the scenes of New York and her mother's letters, right? Like, I can go to New York and see New York. I can't go to New York and look at specific parts of New York that have been curated while being juxtaposed to the messages that are being written. Yeah, and I, I want to get back to the mother stu- mother's letter stuff later, but you're right. There is a special type of poetry in that too that's very unique, and you can't just read fucking Chantelle Ackerman's mom's letters in New York City and be like, wow, I'm experiencing the same thing. But what I meant by like the timelessness of it, though, is that subways are a huge part of this movie. She loves filming in the subways and all this stuff. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm in a subway is to look at men and to see if they're checking out hot girls. So so the reason why I like doing that is, first of all, I get to indiscreetly check out hot girls, but also think I'm not actually checking out on hot girls because I'm actually checking out on the man who's checking right, out Right, you're hot judging, girls. but you're also looking at the ass. Yes, exactly. That's like one of my favorite things to do. And even in this movie, you can catch a few guys checking out because men suck yes and those men forever will be checking out girls forever caught on cinema and they're just transcended forever they're just forever there you know it's it's funny i have a female friend who is worse at checking out women than i am uh and so when i catch her i always say um so and so stop objectifying these women right as a joke and she goes i'm not objectifying them i'm sexualizing them 
and she'll she'll <laughs> encourage me to, to to look with her and it's it's very hard for me in this situation to just like i'm like she is right that is a really nice butt that that person has <laughs> when we were in college tori tori used to say that when i looked at like when i when he caught me checking out women on college campus i was like the wolf from those old cartoons like my eyes would pop out of my head and my tongue would shoot out like which is like which is why i like do my best not to do it anymore because i'm not good at being subtle and so then i'm with this friend who's just like scoping a boob i know you get jealous of all the people who don't care about not being subtle yeah right on the same scene though one of my other favorite moments of this movie everyone like comes out of the subway because they're at a station and people come in they get to a subway that a bunch of fucking people stand up and walk out there's like no asian people in this subway for most of that scene and then suddenly there's just this random super short asian lady and she just pops up on the camera because she's super short so she comes underneath the camera instead of (laughs) on the side of the camera and it's just all these like americans every different people of color and all this stuff and just this random little asian lady the only asian person in this fucking (laughs) shot that just pops up underneath the camera (laughs) and that stereotype is like you know, now it's forever caught on fucking camera, and it's cool. So, and I, I, I like make these notable stereotypes in daily life, but because they're just memories, the power isn't the same. So, the reason why I wanted to let a, a Chantel Ackerman's mom conversation be pushed back a little is because I do think it is very interesting to talk about in its own specific, unique way. For one, let's talk a little bit about who Ackerman's mom seems to be through a letters. One, she's a huge worry rat. Every single letter she starts with, Chantel, Chantel, please write back. You never write back. I'm so sad that you don't write back. And always tries to ask her what she's doing. The other thing she does is she talks a lot about the small little rural town that Ackerman lived in. And there's all these characters that you know nothing about, about who's getting married, my shop is running well, your dad is a little bit in debt, and all these little characters. And sometimes Ackerman is reading these letters and the drowning noise of New York City is so loud that you can't even fucking hear her voice over anymore. It just gets covered. I don't know if it's intentional, but I honestly felt so much magic in that because... There is something about going to another big city that's so exciting. And even though your home is constantly trying to keep in contact with you, it becomes drowned out into the background of that fucking big, large city of noise. And for the letters to just be like as a sort of background narrative that you don't, you don't really understand or you don't really know what it's about. And they're not, they never go into very deep places, right? There's never anything like, Oh my God, these politics are happening. It's just like, Ackerman, how you doing? I miss you. Please write back. It reminded me a lot of how I experienced cities when I move into them. I thought that was really special and really magical. Did you used to get similar messages from your family when you were not living with them? They would tell me they missed me a lot when whenever they got a hold of me. I am and was so bad at responding to my parents. <laughs> Even with text messages or emails. It's like, if it was letters, holy fuck, they probably never hear from me ever. But they would hear from me like once every three, four months at most. I was so bad at it. And I have a hard time with letters, with journals, with text messages, with emails, and all of these things. Because 
sometimes for me, it feels like that stuff is so fucking self-reflective. It forces you to like have to face yourself. It's like I'm going to the city and I'm like doing a lot of shit and my mom calls me and suddenly I'm like dragged out of the city and I have to face home and that my identity is still part of home and it makes me self-reflective of like all the mindless fucking city life I'm doing. I've always been so anxious about it and have such a hard time dealing with it that I just tend to not respond to my family. <laughs> well, that surprised me because I, I mean, when I was at college, I would talk to my, my dad like probably once a week. Um, I'd talk to my mom a little less, but it was because my mom would want to like talk about stuff. My dad would call me. He'd just be like, boy, you should have seen my, so, you know, you should have seen us. And he'd like, oh man, you know, so-and-so <laughs> came over and, you know, they, 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 they spilled a beer and it got everywhere, you know, or like, oh, your little brother, you know, did this or that, right? It was never like, how are you doing? What's your life? What's going on? And my dad would just like call me to tell whatever dumb shit was going on. And then I would do the same. I would have been like, man, you should have seen Walter last night. He got like super drunk and headbutted a wall. And then we had to like hold him down so he didn't try to, you know, like eat out of the garbage <laughs> or something. And uh, some of that has to do with the fact that my dad and I both like to tell stories, right? We're both like storytellers. And so very rarely when we communicate, was it like, it, it would be stuff we'd already told other people, right? Like, I'd already told the person I sit next to in class before class starts about that crazy thing you did last night. But I, my identity is tied to my family in some ways. I don't know. It's, it's it, it, you know, it, some of it's like, you know, where I grew up, uh, my family's different than a lot of people. So it's... it's. Do you feel like I'm saying mine is not? I don't mind reflecting on my family. I think what you, what, what I understood from what you said is that the act of reflection is stressful. I mean, self-reflecting in general for me is very uh, fucking stressful. I've been recommended to start journaling a little more, and I fucking have such a hard time with it. It's like, I just get so anxious thinking about journaling, and there, I and maybe I do. Maybe you're right. I have a lot of fucking dark secrets. Maybe I want to murder some people, baby. Well, I mean, I don't like journaling <laughs> either. I find it stressful. I write a lot, but I don't like to journal. And I, I think it's for similar reasons, right? Calling my dad and being like, man, Tori and Walter got so drunk last night that they broke the TV and uh, Tori woke up in the morning and was super pissed and Walter could not stop laughing, right? That's very different than being like, I, I'm really stressed about class and I'm worried that I can't like perform in the way I'm supposed to and I'm like wondering if it's even worth it for me to be here, right? Like, am I good enough to deserve going to college? It's very different than that, right? And that that was not the kind of communication I had with my dad or my mom all that often in college. What about daddy? My penis doesn't work. Daddy, my pee pee doesn't work. What do I do? My pee pee doesn't work. Daddy. <laughs> nah, dude. College, my penis worked great, dude. I was slaying it. Slaying it. Slaying it. Laying it. <laughs> filleting it. That's right. The rhymes. The rhymes, baby. They're back. They're back. They're back. I was slaying the fillet. I would slay the fillet every day. Uh, again, we, we've reached our time allotted. Uh, remember to give us a uh, five-star review to get those belly slaps. Follow us on Twitter. Shoot us an email at, at fakefilmfans at gmail.com. Worship us. Love us. Maybe if you love us enough, we can like learn to say I love you to... Well, I don't have to learn, but Walter can maybe learn to say I love you to his parents. Just try it. Just say once. I will say... Just say it once. I will say if you are a MILF. I will say if you are a MILF. I will be able to say I love mom. Okay, that's good. Still can't say that he loves his own mom. <laughs> Interesting, when I tell him to say, just say he loves his mom, he brings it to a place of sex. Oh, fuck. I failed. I lost the Freudian battle. You lost battle. the Freudian fuck. battle, and you <laughs> want to fuck with your mom. Not me. You monster. Uh, I think we'll end it on that. So everyone just remember, uh, if you're going to watch a movie, do it with the lights off. <laughs> <laughs>